0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio. As always, my name is Sean Alfinito, and I'm your host. Thanks for tuning in. Um, today's a pretty exciting day. Not only is there some uh, decent tech news rolling around, but uh, it's a little bit of nervous excitement because it's the first day of the MLB playoffs, I guess, officially. Uh, today is the uh, Tonight's the wildcard game with the Yankees and the Twins. My Yankees, obviously, have done better than expected at this point in the sort of redevelopment of the team. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that, and uh, I'm still really thrilled with the experience that I've had with PlayStation View. As a matter of fact, right now I'm watching SportsCenter on my, uh, my phone while I uh, edit and uh, produce this, uh, this episode, and it's, uh, the quality's fantastic. Um, it's, it's really great being able to have access to kind of TV everywhere um there are a few caveats obviously there's a few restrictions where certain content's not available when you're away from your home's wi-fi network but as a whole it's pretty damn good so with that being said though let's go ahead and jump in with today's tech download for tuesday october 3rd 2017 So ever since Apple bought the Beats company and started having their hands involved a little bit more in the production of Beats headphones, they have gotten a little bit better. Uh, and when I say little, I do mean a little. Um, my personal opinion on Beats has always been that they're pretty much crap. They're overpriced, overmarketed uh, headphones that really are more of a fashion statement than they really are a piece of really good audio equipment or something that you know anybody who claims to really enjoy clean-sounding, crisp-sounding audio... Would purchase the the real draw to Beats headphones is obviously the fashion or iconography that's associated with them, as well as the fact that if you're someone who listens to a lot of R&B or hip hop and you like super super bassed out uh, music, then obviously they do have really good bass. However, the bass is you know has a tendency to be very muddy and it also drowns out everything else that's going on. So if you want to listen to anything other than hip hop or some bass heavy uh, dance music, then you know the music just doesn't sound nearly as clean or natural. As it might with a lot of other headphones that are either in the same price range or cheaper. So a lot of the uh, the things that went into, for example, the new Beats Studio 3 wireless headphones that make them better really center more around things like the W1 chip from Apple and uh, you know some of the other features that kind of make them more functional. The build quality is still not that great. Um, they still feel very plasticky and, and cheap. Um, and for that same level of build quality, you could buy something like the the uh, ATH. M50X's from uh, from Audio Technica, which I've been a huge fan of for years, all versions of the ATH M50 series, um, but you know they don't have the best build quality either they're they're very creaky and plasticky but they have an absolutely clean sound that in, in my opinion is hands down uh far better than what you get from some beats headphones they have good clean bass um, but they still have some nice mid 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 range sounds and some good highs um they're overall just a little bit more natural sounding a little bit more uh flat now obviously that's just my opinion everybody has a different musical preference but there's definitely no denying the fact that you know beats are not marketed as nor are nor would anybody mistake them for being flat natural sounding headphones now for the price range of the beats if you're looking for an alternative that has a little bit better sound overall in my opinion would be the sony 1000x um, which definitely has better noise canceling than the studio threes and it just has an overall better more uh, more flat more neutral sound so um, there's a lot of other options out there obviously bose makes the quiet comfort 35s and, and there's a ton of other options out there in that 300 to 400 price range if you're looking for a super high-end pair of headphones but uh, if that that's what you're looking to spend you know i would just make sure that you're you're choosing based on sound quality not on a fashion statement so uh, i just wanted to throw that out there because uh, i I was just reading some some articles about people's opinions on whether or not beats has actually gotten better in terms of sound quality since apple took uh, or purchased the company so my opinion just based on some of the listening that i've done with friends or with some review units that i've had Um, I I think they've gotten a little bit better, but it's still nowhere near the sound quality you could get from a lot of other options out there. So if you're looking for some new headphones, do your research and definitely check out uh, some comparable models to whatever you're looking to spend on a pair of Beats. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a segment on uh, on the tech download where I kind of poked fun at Roku about their IPO and kind of joked that I didn't really think that anybody really still cared about Roku that much. And uh, I was kind of kidding, but it was kind of serious. Um, but as it turns out, uh, Roku actually has a whole new line of products that are, are launching for this year. And one of them is actually pretty interesting to me. The The Roku Streaming Stick Plus is an upgrade to the, uh, the classic Roku Streaming Stick that plugs directly into the HDMI port on your television. And uh, what's unique about this one is that they've included now 4K and HDR capabilities directly into the streaming stick itself as well as added in a Wi-Fi boosting sort of antenna uh, attachment. So basically it plugs into the to the streaming stick via micro USB with a traditional USB plug on the other side that plugs into a powered USB port on your television to provide power and it's supposed to give you four times the range of Wi-Fi connectivity that you would have with the stick without the extension cable. So um, I'm really interested to see how this works because I've actually seen a pretty wide range of different performance levels on, uh, specifically with PlayStation View. So as you guys know, I'm using an OTT service. So I'm using PlayStation View as my main, basically my cable provider or my replacement to a cable or satellite provider. And uh, I'm really curious to see how this performs versus all the other devices that I've tested PlayStation View with. Um, I seem to get different results. Um, With every different type of device I use, whether I'm using the PlayStation itself, whether I'm using, um, you know, the casting capabilities of my TV, um, if I'm using my Apple TV in a different room, I get different levels of of performance. And so I'm curious if this Wi-Fi boosting capability as well as just the performance of the Roku stick itself being plugged directly into um, the HDMI port on the television without the need for cables and all that might make for an overall cleaner, more effective setup. And if you have a television and a stereo receiver that have the HDMI control capabilities, then you should be able to streamline the whole process of jumping into um, watching PlayStation View. Right now I have to turn on, you know, whatever device I'm going to use to stream or to access PlayStation View, then I have to turn on my TV and my stereo. Um, And in this case, I might be able to just hit the power button on the the remote for the Roku streaming uh, stick and then basically just hit the view button and it should in theory turn on my television go into the right input and as well as switching over the input on my stereo to access the the video output of my television. So uh, with one button I could be jumped right into watching PlayStation view and uh, if the performance is good then that's awesome. I still hate the way the remote looks. It's you know the purple buttons and the stupid little cloth flag that says Roku on it. I I just don't get it Um, but I think I could look past it if the performance was really good. So let me know if any of you guys out there want to hear about the uh, the experience that I have with the Roku stick. They actually go on pre-order now. It won't ship until October 8th, but once I get it in my hands, I'll do a, a really good thorough review of it, test it out with things like Netflix, Hulu, Sling, um, and PlayStation View, and let you guys know what my results were. So if you guys want to hear more about that, leave me a comment or uh, call in and let me know. Sony announced that it's going to be releasing an update to the PlayStation VR that adds a few features and fixes a few problems that people had with the original PlayStation VR when it launched. If you're like me and you've already owned a PSVR headset in the past or currently, then you know that you typically have to connect headphones via the 3.5mm headphone port or headphone jack on the side of the inline remote. It's not necessarily a problem, but it's also not the best way to do it. And I always thought it would be nice if the PlayStation VR had built-in headphones. So Sony's looking to fix that with the updated model, which will actually contain a built-in headphone or earbud system, so you can just plop them right in your ears when you put the PSVR headset on. Another big issue that I personally had with the PlayStation VR was the fact that the HDR pass-through capabilities of the processing unit actually didn't support HDR. Now, basically what this meant was anytime I wanted to use my PlayStation VR, I would have to basically switch cables around or disconnect the processing unit or reconnect it because if I just left it connected all the time and I wanted to watch something that had HDR capabilities, I wouldn't be able to get them because the uh, processing unit actually did not have the capability to pass through HDR single information. So it was kind of a nuisance and I thought it was a really odd oversight on Sony's part and I actually commented on that when I did a quick write-up on my review of the PlayStation VR experience. It just didn't make sense to me. It seems like Sony of all companies who actually make TVs that are HDR capable... Um, would have been well aware of the HDR pass through sort of uh, limitation and and would have produced something that didn't have that limitation on launch. So uh, other than that, it looks like most everything else about the playstation vr headset and experience is going to remain the same it doesn't add any new features or have any new additional processing power so it is a relatively minor update but if you're somebody like me who does have an hdr television and wants to use the playstation vr that's a nice additional bonus feature so um, if you guys already have a playstation vr and you've experienced any of these issues or complaints about it leave me a comment or a call in and let me know what your experience has been like with your playstation vr One of the many criticisms that Apple usually faces when they make a change to an existing product, whether it's adding new features or changing any way anything is implemented on an existing product line, is the fact that a lot of their new quote-unquote features are often met with a lot of caveats and some sacrifices that people have to overcome to take advantage of them, and the new iPhones seem to be no different. One of the more notable features of the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10 once it eventually launches is the fact that it not only incorporates wireless charging capabilities, but they have finally included the ability to have fast charging, which is something that has been widely available on most top tier or flagship Android devices for quite a while. Unfortunately, in typical Apple fashion, the charging brick that actually ships with the new iPhones is only a 5-watt charging adapter, which does not have enough wattage or enough power to actually uh, trigger the fast charging capabilities that are within the iPhone 8. So, in order to actually take advantage of fast charging, you're going to actually have to purchase the 29-watt Apple power adapter, which is about $49, and then you're also going to have to purchase a Lightning to USB-C cable, which is $28. Now, this is obviously something that understandably annoys a lot of people. You know, uh, the fast charging is an actual feature of the iPhone, but yet it doesn't ship with the right accessories to be able to take advantage of that. And of course, you can get third-party accessories probably a lot cheaper than what Apple sells their cables and charging bricks for, but then you're taking a risk of, you know, possibly damaging your phone or or getting a cheap third-party accessory. So most people would rather have the actual Apple-branded products. On Monday of this week, Apple Insider actually published a a chart where they went through and did a test of all the different various charging uh, options that you have to charge an iPhone 8 and what those different charging times looked like. Now, what's obviously disappointing to many is that the 5-watt charging adapter that ships with the iPhone 8 will take an iPhone 8 or 8 Plus about 2 hours and 15 minutes to go from 0 to 100%. Now, when you compare that with the charging time for the 29-watt power brick when paired with the USB-C to lightning cable, you're looking at a charge time of about an hour and 10 to an hour and 15 minutes to go from 0 to 100. So you're talking about almost a full hour of difference, and in order to get that, you're going to have to spend about, you know, 75 $75. Another thing that I found interesting in this chart was that the wireless charging actually takes about the same amount of time as charging with the 5 watt charger that ships with the latest iPhones. So basically you're looking at about two and a half hours to go from zero to 100% using the wireless charging mat. Now, originally, Apple got a little bit of praise for going with Qi, which is a a standard wireless charging system that's already in place, rather than coming with their own proprietary system. But what's interesting is that the wireless charging times with the iPhone are not even in line with typical charge times you'd get with a competing Android device using the same Qi wireless mat. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. So, you know, if you look at it as a whole big picture, you know, this is just another situation where Apple's introduced some cool new features that people have wanted, like fast charging and wireless charging capabilities, but their implementations are met with a few challenges. I think one thing that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on is when the iPhone X launches with its you know, $999 plus price point, um, it's going to be interesting to see if that's enough for Apple to include the 29 watt power adapter with the iPhone X instead of the 5 watt version that ships with the iPhone 8. Because obviously, if I'm spending, you know, I don't know, $1,200, let's say, for the larger storage version of the iPhone X, and I still have to go out and buy another $29 adapter plus a $28 cable just to be able to take advantage of fast charging, I think that's going to be a little bit more upsetting to a lot of people out there. You know, and this is kind of just par for the course for Apple. I think this is something we a lot of people have come to expect over time. Um, every time Apple adds a new feature or a new benefit, it seems to be met with some, some backlash or some down, downsides to it. So the question I have for you guys is if the uh, wireless charging or the super fast charging feature of the iPhone 8 or iPhone 10 was something you were interested in, does the fact that you have to purchase these extra accessories separately something that is uh, upsetting to you or does it put you off? Leave me a comment or call in and let me know. So we're currently about a month away from the unveiling of the tesla semi-truck which uh, tesla has been teasing for a little while i actually did a segment on that a few episodes back Talking about how I was pretty excited to, uh, to actually see these on the road. Well, it turns out that some uh, leaked images are starting to pop up around the web of these uh, Tesla semi-trucks on flatbeds, and you can kind of get a little bit more of an idea of what it's going to look like. And uh, honestly, it really looks a lot like what the leaked image, even though that leaked image that came out a few months ago was basically shrouded in backlighting. It was really dark. You couldn't really see much. Um, the silhouette is still there, and it still pretty much looks like what we, uh, what we thought it was going to look like. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's basically exactly what you would expect a Tesla semi truck to look like. It's a a very sleek, um, very aerodynamic-looking version of, of what a typical semi truck would look like today. So the front is much more uh, smooth and pointed, and uh, the top has a much more rounded, curved sort of uh, fall-off point to it. So it's definitely it's definitely driven by a lot of technology to create a more aerodynamic design that's going to help it get better mileage and uh, better distances on that single charge. A few things that we think are pretty much nailed down and uh, pretty much guaranteed at this point are the fact that the uh, the new from Tesla will contain some form of autopilot, um, computer-driven driving aids, as well as a range of about 200 to 300 miles. Um, and it's definitely designed to be more of a day cab type of uh, semi. So it doesn't have the, uh, the back side or that back sleeper berth. So it's going to be a little bit on the smaller side in terms of comparing it to another semi truck you might see on the road now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see these hit the streets because um, obviously semi-trucks are pretty loud and obnoxious and are pretty severe gas guzzlers, so it's going to be cool to see semi-trucks rolling around that are pretty quiet and that are not leaving behind them a trail of thick black smoke everywhere they go. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, though, what these are going to cost and how really how cost-effective it will be for any companies out there to uh, to actually incorporate these into their fleet. So obviously the the gas savings is something to be taken into account but when you take into account the uh, the price premium that comes with the tesla name and all that it's going to be interesting to see what kind of deal tesla can work out with uh shipping companies around the world to to get these on the street so i'm definitely going to be keeping my eyes out for more information about the official announcement on these and looking forward to seeing when we might be seeing these rolling around on the streets Well, guys, that's going to do it for another tech download here on Gadget Reason Radio on Anchor FM. Thank you once again to everybody who continues to support the station by favoriting it and engaging with comments, call-ins, applause, whatever. And uh, also thanks to everybody out there who subscribes and listens via the podcast as well. Um, Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the episode today. Uh, If you guys have any comments or questions or anything to add about any of the uh, the topics we discussed today, go ahead and leave me a call-in or leave a comment here on one of the segments. I'd love to hear your thoughts otherwise that's it for today and i will talk to you guys tomorrow have a good night